And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my good friend, Remzo Martinez. It's always a great time talking to Remzo. Uh, we covered a lot. Uh, we talked about Hunter Biden, uh, his frequent use of the N-word. <laughs> we talked about uh, Mara Gay from the New York Times, about how she was triggered by uh, by seeing uh, the American flag. Uh, yikes. Hey, we covered a lot of a lot of stuff, some internal uh, libertarian debates and, and, and all kinds of stuff. I think you guys will like it. Before I get to Remzo, I want to say hi to our sponsors over at Bulk Munitions. Ladies and gentlemen, Americans have been buying guns at record rates. There was something like, what, 2.1 million guns sold last month. Uh, that's all well and good uh, if you can find ammo, and I'm sure you can't. And that is where my friends over at Bulk Munitions come in. They have whatever you need in stock, whether you're looking for 9, 223, 556, whatever you need, they have in stock, ready to ship fast. All orders ship within two business days, no more waiting around. And the folks at Bulk Munitions are great. They want their work to serve a higher purpose. That is why they donate a minimum of 10% of their profits to Christian-owned and Second Amendment-supporting charities. They call it their Ammo Tithe. And if all of that isn't great enough, they're giving this audience a great deal. Uh, The first 25 of you guys to use the promo code TNGP21 at checkout will receive a brand new, absolutely free uh, Blackhawk magazine case, either a soft-sided case for pistol mags or a hard-sided case for AR-15 mags. You get that on the house uh, with the promo code TNGP21. You can see the special offer right now at bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. That is bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. Use the code TNGP21 at checkout to get that Blackhawk mag case on the house. And guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Remzo Martinez. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, how you been, man? Brady, it has been uh, it has been minutes since we last spoke. Lots of change, lots of moving around, both figuratively and literally. It's great to be back on. Yeah, man. So uh, it has been a while. You've been busy. You moved to Wisconsin, uh, and you also got engaged. So, uh, yeah, some big stuff going on. The, the life and times of, uh, of Remzo. It, it, you know, I feel like each time I come on your show, like I'm doing something completely different. Like one minute I'm doing like, you know, super packs. The next minute I'm working at GameStop. One minute I'm working for a newspaper. The next minute I'm I'm working for like a Facebook competitor. And I mean, if you had told if you had told me a year ago that I would be in Wisconsin working for a think tank that's advocating for like, you know, free market conservative statewide policies and that I would finally have like my own place and that I would also be engaged. Like I'd think, man, that's like, I, I would like to move. I'd like to have all these things happen, but it's like two, three years from now, the the pandemic and COVID and just life in general, as I, as I talk about on my show on the run, like it has, like it accelerated so many things. It killed some opportunities. It made some new opportunities all ultimately for the good. But man, like when I look at myself in the mirror in the morning, it's like, dude, my life is strange. I yeah, dig man. it. things are going to keep escalating too you're going to come on in like two months and you'll have three kids or something it's like wait that doesn't even make sense like kids take like 
longer. Well, 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 you see, you see, this is how it happened. How is that, how is that physically how it possible? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody saw a picture of me recently, and I think the last time I was on your show it was when I first started growing facial hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I, I got a message from somebody last night. They saw me doing a, you know, a video recording uh, that got posted last week for another show I went on. And they're like, you know, at the beginning, like it was kind of creepy because it looked like you were just hitting puberty again in your late twenties. Now <laughs> when I see you with the, with like the, the mustache and goatee, it's like, I can't see you without it. It's so weird how that works. I'm like, that's good. That means I'm going to keep it. That means people are cool with it now. Yeah, man. More facial hair is typically, I mean, there, there are exceptions, but it's typically a smart move. For hey, I mean, you know, it's an upgrade for dudes that, you know, just want a little extra oomph. And their look, I dig it. Like I, at first, like I hated it because it was like all itchy and patchy and stuff. But once you learn how, like, really master it, like you gotta make it look good. Like some guys can't look like trash with facial hair. But I think you know, I went from like you know a six and a half to at least a seven and a half just by taking care of it better. I mean, that's the easiest way to to make that transformation. I, I'm struggling to think of another way that just a, I mean, you know, I, I could man could just I, without, I could like, lose. Without working I could lose, out and stuff, you know. Yeah, like I could lose more weight, or I can or, I can grow some facial hair. <laughs> that's, that's an easy decision. Yeah, that's, like that's it was, you know, decision. this one doesn't involve much. No, you just you literally <laughs> just wait. It's just, you just put the razor down, walk away. Just time happens, and then I mean, I could I could back. look better. I could look better just by sleeping. Yeah, no, it's my great. god. <laughs> so um. Look, a lot to talk about, as always. Um, Hunter Biden, um, who we've discussed before, just a real, just just a great guy. <laughs> anyway, so it turns out he uh, he used the N-word a bunch of times, so that's that's fun. Uh, I'm just excited, man. I'm so excited. We get to watch the press explain to us that it's fine to use the N-word if you're a Democrat. So, like, that's 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 pretty great stuff. Yeah, it's it's one of these situations where you really get to see the the distinction between like really good marketing and what the, the real world shows. And I mean, I, it's not just Hunter Biden. It's all these people. The moment you're you're running a campaign or doing something or you're the son or spouse of a, of a political candidate, like the first thing they need to, they need to do is they need to make you look like you're just sanctified and like without any like, you know, any flaws, no no, no, nothing that could even blemish your reputation. And then, you know, stuff like this happens. And I don't even know how the messages got out. Do you, do you know who like like who released them and uh, stuff? Somebody, because it was, he was texting his lawyer who he kept calling him the N word. <laughs> my gosh, it was just like I, I read the message and I'm like, this is this has to be like a Babylon B article or something. No, no, it's not. No, he's really a crackhead and he really just drops the end bomb all over the place it's just great yeah. stuff man. and the same day that that came out mara gay from the new york times um went on cnn i believe it might have been msnbc but i mean dude six of one half dozen of the other I, I don't know i don't have cable i mean i, I just see clips on of this stuff on twitter later but anyway she it feels like she, a different reality sometimes yeah but she says she was terrified after seeing uh the american flag when she was driving through long island because the American flag's racist or something. And the New York Times came out and defended her, by the way. So, like, it's just funny, man. It's the stated position of the corporate press that the N-word is good and the American flag is bad. <laughs> it's like, if that doesn't literally explain the history of the Democratic Party, I don't know what does. It, it's it's one of those situations where... So, I, I, haven't watched, um, I haven't watched Fox, CNN, MSNBC, any of that stuff since, since the election. Ma- mainly because, I, I mean... 
we, we've talked about before and I know you talk about regularly if you're other guests like it's just it's over sensationalized and you just you, you can't trust them to do you know remotely anything close to the right thing like the, even when they get a little bit close to the truth they're trying to spin it every way to Sunday so like when I go on Twitter and I see these sound bites and stuff like that I always want to tell myself well there's probably more to the story what context is missing and then I try and do what I think is the right thing, and I try and do a little bit of digging. And then what I end up feeling is even more disappointed because <laughs> what I felt the context was and what I felt was the actual, like, you know, full scope of the situation ended up not only being just as bad but way worse. And it, it's one of the reasons why I'm just so happy to be out of, you know, the Beltway in Virginia. Like, I love Virginia, and I tell people this regularly. Like, I didn't want to leave. But like where I was living, you know, it was right outside of D.C. It just became like Southern Maryland or something. And for the people there that work in journalism, that work in advocacy, stuff like that, it, it's just such a bubble. There's just such a disconnect. So I knew that during the pandemic and everything, like I knew I was going to have to leave eventually. I'm glad I left sooner than later. But, you know, uh, it, it was going to have to be to a place that is just far freaking away from the swamp. Because at the end of the day, it's like these people, they, they have they have no relation even to those who they think are like them. Like your Midwest Democrat is like super conservative compared to like your D.C. liberals. And okay. I, I, don't, I don't get what it is. I don't get what it is about, you know, they leave wherever they're from because no one from D.C. is actually from D.C. You know, and same goes for like New York or uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, where a lot of these, um, you know, networks are. And, and it's like, they just get so hyper-focused on their own bubble that everything just seems so weird because I could show that clip or I could show articles like, you know, ha half the other things we could pull out in the air as an example to anybody, you know, out here, even in the South. And I'm like, do you agree with like this position? Like the American flag, like makes you tremble and shake in your boots. And they're like, dude, <laughs> I just I just ignore that stuff. I vote for the stuff I like and I literally ignore everything else. And that's a common conversation I hear from people, especially politically apathetic people. Yeah. Like it's it's like after 2016, we just entered bizarro world and we've just been drifting further and further into it since. So, I mean, I I, I don't know about you, but I just feel like sick to my stomach when I see this stuff, I just start like randomly laughing because it's like that scene from Joker. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of pretending <laughs> this isn't the truth. It's, it is, it's yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. It's just bizarre. And like the, like back to cable news, like that, you know, Fox news would do this with Trump sometimes too. Not, not as bad as, as the left does, but like how he would like Trump would say something ridiculous. And then like Fox news would like, just explain to their audience that what he said wasn't ridiculous. Like he could just say the sky's green and they'd be like, well, you know, he has a point, you know, like middle America, they've been forgotten by the elites and the press and they just, uh, you know, and that's why the sky's green. And it's like, but there's like, there's no reason. Like you don't have to d defend every word the guy says. And it's like, why? Like, I just don't understand why the corporate press feels the need to defend Joe Biden's crackhead racist son. <laughs> It's like, you just don't, like, why did the, the staff of the New York Times have to come out and defend Mara Gay? And be like, she's absolutely right. The American flag is evil. Anybody who likes the flag is racist. It's white supremacy. It's like, come on. No, this woman's an idiot. This is the same woman who thought that there was 500 people that lived in the United States. She she went on, on TV and said that uh, 
that because Michael Bloomberg spent five hundred million dollars, ridiculous by the way, on his ridiculous joke of a presidential campaign. She was like, instead of spending five hundred million dollars on ads, he could have given each American a million dollars. And it's like, okay, like this woman's just a just an idiot. Like you don't have to like there's just no need to come out and defend when she says stupid stuff. Well, this is like this immediately reminded me of like Hank Johnson from Georgia. I think he's from Georgia or West Virginia, one, one of those states down south. Like he was the guy who literally thought that if we put more U.S. forces in Guam, <laughs> it would tip the island over. And I, I remember watching that video as it came out in like 2015, 2016. And whoever the general was who was speaking on like the Armed Services Committee, which it's like, why, what is Hank Johnson doing there? He just looks at the guy and he's like, um, sir, I don't believe that, uh, you know, putting more people on the <laughs> island will force the island to tip over. Yet that man has been there for o- over several decades and he keeps yeah. getting reelected. Yeah. We're, we're not it, – it's at the point where, you know, there, there, I think there – and this is just my personal opinion – um, I, I think there's this common myth that when we elect people, your average voter will say that they want to elect like the most qualified person. And then when you look at a lot of the individuals that we end up electing, it's almost never based off qualification and it's always based off personality. And then when we get into weird situations like this, where it's just like, is that person like really in a position where they can affect like actual legislation and stuff like that? How do we get to this point? We see that it's like it across the board. I mean, Republicans are as much to blame on this, too. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're we are just as much at fault for enabling this type of behavior as they are for going out and and behaving in this way. I mean, I stopped. I, I don't know if I've become like desensitized or whatever, but like I'm just not surprised. It's almost like. Well, I've been saying for years now, it's like I'm less mad at the politicians and I'm more mad at the people who go out of their way to elect them. And half the time they can't even really justify why it's it's the problem with the American voter. We want the best, but we we settle for like the least qualified, least capable people. Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, I want to uh, change gears here a little bit of a rant here, Um, but there's been a debate going on lately in in libertarian circles and in conservative circles basically the whole right wing <clears throat> and that debate is whether or not we like we just you know we're both libertarians so we can just talk about our our perspective as libertarians whether or not we're supposed to hate everything any government official does even if it's a good thing just because that person is a government official and i say no because i'm an adult <laughs> like i'm an adult I'm a 32 year old man who can understand nuance in the world but, like, people are up in arms about Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, banning vaccine passports. You know, they're making the property rights argument. Oh, private companies can do whatever they want. Like, look, I just want to be free, man. I just want to be free. I want to be free from government tyranny. I also want to be free from all other tyranny as well. I mean, like, of course I wish that the government was so small it couldn't do anything. And corporations only cared about profit, not woke nonsense. And I wish everybody on earth was a libertarian who, you know, respected the non-aggression principle and all that. But that world does not exist currently, right? <laughs> like, we don't, we do not live in that world, so what do we do about it? You know what I mean? So I say, good on Greg Abbott. Ban vaccine, making people show their papers to enter a, anywhere is evil. It's an evil thing to do, whether it's government or private industry. It's just wrong. It's immoral. So I'm all about Greg Abbott banning it. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that actually really does give me hope. In fact, I won't even say it's the fact that I, you know, I, I'm happy that a governor took some big action against it. Personally, I was just really excited to see the Floyd Mayweather, the Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul fight the other night that took place in Miami. Um, you know, we finally have like. Why outdoor- would you be excited to watch that? It was it was a good fight, but it was also like one of the only big sports events. I'm a, I'm a boxing fan. So the fact that, you know, I actually got to watch something where people were in the stadiums again made, you know, it just it just felt like normal because, you know, like when I was watching, you know, baseball last season and everything and you've got like the cardboard cutouts of people like mm-hmm. something from I am legend in the stands. It, it's just at this point where it's like, you know, people can make their own choices. They can accept their own risks. And what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, for example, I mean, you know, that that fight, it's really nothing on like a big scale, but for just regular people, even sports fans like myself, you know, the opportunity to at least get to see that in a way that is like remotely normal and the way it's supposed to be, because that's how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, it's just a sign that I think conservatives are actually remembering that, you know, at least statewide and locally, they do have authority. They can actually push back against this. Uh, it's funny because, you know, I thought that they were going to ignore it uh, after a while. And I think during the Trump years, they certainly did. But, you know, at the same time, uh, progressives also figured that out. We had uh, Newsom out in California who was doing stuff to oppose Trump. We had um, you know, uh, Cuomo in New York. And I mean, the list goes on. It's like when one party is in charge, the, un- the other one suddenly rediscovers the 10th amendment and enumerated powers and stuff like that. And then they can go ahead and actually start running their States the way that at least they want to, you know, hopefully it's in the way that the will of the people want who are residents there. But, you know, with, um, with Abbott, with DeSantis, with, with the whole run of them, what we're seeing is that, you know, Joe Biden can only hurt you if you really allow it to happen. And when you actually start putting the pressure on your state officials and especially your governors to do what the right thing is, you, you can block a lot of bad policy. So whether this is something that you know sticks on, I'm happy that you know we're at least seeing it in action. And when it comes to those COVID vaccine passports, you know it, it's so it, it's so funny because 10 years ago the thought of you know this happening would have just completely horrified progressives. And the fact that I see so many people, you know, pushing for this, it's like, okay, we're going to do the same for flu shots. Like we're, we're going to create like a, a neo segregated society for those that have the privilege of actually like, you know, functioning in like everyday life and those who are going to get pushed into a corner. I mean, here in Wisconsin, we've basically gotten rid of most of the restrictions. I haven't had to wear a mask uh, anywhere except to go to home goods to get some furniture for my apartment. But, you know, private business who wants to do that, that's fine. The moment you start tracking people, I, I think across the board, it, it's it's more unpopular than you think. I've been, I've been ignoring the Twitter polls. I've been ignoring a lot of the other uh, public polls that a lot of these publications pushing out because it's almost always saying like, oh yeah, you know, people want this. But, you know, if you actually just ask anybody on the street, they're going to say it's, it's unenforceable, it's unnecessary, and it's just like it's going to lead to more problems than not. I just don't know what to say to the, you know, I, I don't know what their end game is. The the like the libertarians that are up in arms about this, right? Saying, oh, Greg Abbott, he's a tyrant. You know, if restaurants want to make you show your papers, that's their right. And it's just like, okay, like, yeah, I guess private property and all that. Like, I understand that, but it's like, what's your end game? It's like these private businesses didn't cook up the idea of vaccine passports. Okay, that was not. I mean, let's the, let, let's really, I mean, let's really kind of tie this back a bit. 
the people who are pushing for this the most, they're trying to go ahead and bring in like this, I'll call it like a center, a center right crowd of supporters because they keep saying, well, it'll be privately done. But here's the thing, when you've got the department, when you've got the health department and all these other agencies like the FDA who are trying to go ahead and work together to build these standards, yeah, they can't enforce it, but they can go ahead and provide the incentives. So what's gonna happen when you have like, you know, Walmart, Amazon, all these other places. Well, Amazon is a brick and mortar store, but when you ha start having restaurants that are all opting into these new COVID protocols, there's always a kickback. There's always something they get out of it, whether it's tax breaks, whether it's you know grants and stuff like that. Like they're exactly. benefiting in exactly. some way. So you have to really ask, like, is this private or not? And, and I debated, um, you know, with a with a really smart economist a couple of weeks ago, and he tried, you know, backing up what Cuomo was saying in regards of, um, you know, the New York standard of the COVID vaccine passports being backed up by blockchain technology, as if blockchain technology automatically makes it good. No, it's just, you know, how it's being done. But just because it's in a way that some libertarians like on like a surface level, it's like, what the what the heck does that have to actually do with it? It's still a bad policy. Just because you package it as being, you know, more decentralized, which blockchain does not inherently mean that something is decentralized. So just because no. you package it that way or you say, well, it's going to be businesses doing it, it, it's going to be, you know, the government walking around with like a free market puppet on one hand and then the pundits on the other saying, isn't the government great? Yeah, they're absolutely great. But who's really doing the talking? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're absolutely right that a lot of these, like, you know, the, the, the argument, they're a private company, they can do whatever they want. I mean, my first question is, are they? Like, are they like how, how much of the private sector is actually private? I mean, I'm, I'm sure, like you said, you know, if these these corporations want to institute vaccine passports, I'm sure they would be incentivized to do so financially by the Democratic Party. You know what I mean? They'd be getting paid to do this. And, you know, I, I'm just not OK with letting the Democrats use the private sector to advance their dystopian agenda. You know what I mean? Like these are. Yeah, I mean, cor corporatism and capitalism are not mutually exclusive. No, absolutely I think not. people. I think people often get confused with that. So the fact that I've seen, you know, so, you know, self-identified free marketeers, you know, people who push for voluntary association, basically saying, you know, build your own grocery store or build your own version of this. It's like you can only do so much. And, and I think that's incredibly condescending to, you know, working class people that just want to move on with their life and like, you know, provide shelter and food for themselves and their families. It's like, you can't just say, well, you know, get with the program. Uh, it, it's one of these situations where it's like, you know, we, we keep pushing this down. And, and I think, I don't think COVID passports are going to be a thing that really sticks. I do think that, you know, once more states start opening up and the mask restrictions come down, especially since, you know, we're, we're reaching a majority of the population getting vaccinated willingly, um, you know, we're, we're going to see this conversation slowly fade, but with it, we're going to see something more nefarious come out. And I've been wondering, like, what is the covid lockdown version of the TSA going to be like? Yeah, because the idea of, you know, the, the, the Department of Homeland Security, TSA, all these post 9-11, um, you know, laws and legislations that came out as a result of the war on terror. Like, you know, mo most people forget that we still have people in like Afghanistan. Most people forget why the TSA is around. And over time, what we begin to really realize is that a lot of this is just security theater, but nobody's tried to push it, you know, to go away. Nobody's tried to pull it back and say, okay, well, you know, either this is outdated or this just doesn't work. No, we, we keep it there. And I, I don't think that 
you know, this is this is going to be one of those situations where it's like all these power grabs and all these like really, really authoritarian policies are just going to go away. Like we're going to start seeing, you know, a a a permanence in certain policies that came out of covid and the pandemic. And uh, that that really terrifies me because government rarely returns power that it takes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and for that reason alone, I'm fine with because I hate the state as much as the next guy. But if some governor wants to ban objectively evil, tyrannical things, (laughs) I'm not going to I'm not going to complain, man. I'm not going to complain. One more one more topic before I let you go, man. Um, I think that the Democrats have a serious Kamala Harris problem on their hands. I mean, look, when you get dismantled by Lester Holt, like, boy, oh, boy, you really suck at this. And for anybody that missed it, I'll tweet out the clip uh, when, when the show's up. But Lester Holt on NBC asked her why she hadn't gone to the southern border after Joe Biden, you know, three months ago put her in charge of the border crisis. And she responded bizarrely with, we've gone to the border, whatever that means. And then Holt rightfully clarified and said, no, you haven't gone to the border. And our brilliant vice president's answer was to say that she didn't go to Europe either. And then she proceeded <laughs> to laugh hysterically like a sociopath. So it's like, man, I, I, I think, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm sure that the, the thought behind Democratic strategists was that Biden wasn't going to run again. And Harris would be their guy or girl, I should say. Uh, in 2024. And I, I think they're hoping and praying that Biden runs again because Harris is just terrible. Look, if you aren't, how were you not prepared for these questions from Lester Holt? Lester Holt is a Democratic hack. Like, he is an ally. He's trying to make you look good. Like, how? How are you this bad at politics? I, I mean, is anyone is anyone really surprised that politicians said they were going to do one thing when they were campaigning and then to get elected and everything is just completely different? I, I mean, this is one of those situations it's not just that. where... It's not just that, though. I mean, I expect that, but like... If you like, man, the White House is the big leagues of American politics. Like, how do you ascend all the way to the vice presidency with the complete inability to, like, see the most basic questions from journalists coming? Hey, man, we live in weird <laughs> times. We do we live in weird times. That's that's all I can say about it. I mean, I'm, I'm just surprised. I'm surprised they let him ask that question. Because when it comes to the media right now, it's like, you know, if I if I go on certain right wing networks, of course, they were never really pushing back on Trump. Well, except for some people at Fox News. But that that that's a completely different thing. And then, you know, with with everything we've seen from the mainstream left wing media, it, it, it's been, you know, just just softball after softball. It's almost you know propaganda. I like what George Orwell uh, said, and it's ironic because we're recording this the day after the anniversary of the publishing of 1984. And I think, uh, you know, in like the 30s, he he basically wrote something like, you know, um, anything other than critical objective reporting by a newspaper is just propaganda. Yeah, I'm surprised that Lester Holt hasn't, you know, had to issue an apology for being mean to Vice President Harris. Like, you know, k- kudos to him for asking, like, you know, a, a genuine question. Uh, I, I I saw the clip briefly. I wish he had done a little bit more, you know, follow up of that. Like, I, I think he, he kind of just let it drop because I, I think he may have felt uncomfortable by the fact that Kamala is really trying to avoid giving a concrete answer to that. But uh, I mean, this is the new environment we're in. I think we're going to have to see a new type of media, a new type of journalism, you know, ethic pop up because this is just this is just not working. And even when it does like, you know, it, it, it flounders as soon as it as it walks out the door. 
Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's just, it's just fascinating, man. It's fascinating. I mean, we knew that Kamala Harris was bad at this. We saw what Tulsi Gabbard did to her uh, in that debate, basically ended her candidacy. Um, but it's like, I even at the time, I'm like, Tulsi Gabbard's not a great debater. <laughs> I mean, she's okay. Like, she's smarter than Kamala Harris and, and stuff. But, like, she she's not this, like, monster in, in the debate setting. And she absolutely destroyed Kamala Harris. It's like, I, it's just fascinating that she couldn't come up with anything better than, well, I haven't been to Europe either. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how is that the best you can do? And, like, I've used this as an example a million times, and we're both boxing fans, Ramzo, but, like, it's it's like the, the prize fighter who, you know, they're, they're so used to being protected by the press. There's never, you know, they never have to actually answer for anything. They're never held to account on anything they do or say. And they're like the boxer that gets lazy, man, who fights a bunch of tomato cans and doesn't work out because they're rich and they don't want to get up early and run before, you know, before going to the gym. And they get knocked out in 30 seconds because they just, you know, they, they're not prepared. And that's that's what a lot of these Democratic politicians are like. I mean, they don't have to work out. They're not using that muscle that Republican politicians have to have to use to combat the press, to come up with good answers to, to hard questions. I mean, it's like it's been so long since she was asked anything. I mean, that's not even a difficult question by Lester Holt. It's like, why haven't you gone to the border? I don't know. I'm busy working on coronavirus stuff. Have you noticed that there's a pandemic on? She could have just said that, and then he would have just changed the subject. Why couldn't we? I haven't been to Europe either. That is the best. Like That's the best. This is the best the Democratic Party has. It's just fascinating, I, man. I, I mean, I think that— uh, Mayweather Paul fight actually, you know, there, there's a lot more you could take up, you, you could take away from it, and I, maybe I'm just looking too much into it, but I think as a cultural moment, it, it, it's it was an important fight to happen because here you have somebody who's probably the the greatest boxer of all time going up against the kid brother of a Disney actor right, who time out pause, became a pause, pause, millionaire. Pause, pause. Hold that thought. I want you to complete this sentence. Me and the audience are wondering right now. I know you will somehow. I just don't know how you are going to end this rant with Kamala Harris. I'm fascinated to see how you do it, man. Yes, yes. I'm I'm fascinated with with, with boxing. You know, it, it's it's really <laughs> one of those sports where you can't you can't fake the punches. Right. Like once you're in the ring, uh-huh. like nothing else matters outside of it except what happens in the arena. And okay. despite all the all the all, all the crap that people have said about Logan Paul online getting ready for this expo- ex- exhibition fight, which my only criticism is like my girlfriend threw more punches and gives less hugs than what I saw with Mayweather and Paul. I will say that, um, you know, it's it, it was one of those moments where it's like, you know, at least the guy like he, he prepped for it and he gave it his all like he went all eight rounds like you can't fake it w- with politics once they actually get elected. You know, it's almost like we, we forget that it's actually where they have to perform. It's actually where they have to show their good. You know, Paul couldn't have fixed that fight. It, it was not a fake fight like what some people are saying. And, and I want to apply it to this because Kamala Harris, through her time as attorney general of California in the Senate to now, it's like, you know, all, all this talk is there. And we see it with Joe Biden, too, especially with somebody who was who's been in government since like, you know, I mean, he, he he's just been there forever. It's like this is the time where, you know, we should actually pay attention to what they're doing and what they're not doing. And, you know, 
this goes for politicians at every level, regardless of party. It's like, this is when you can't fake it. This is when we remember, it doesn't matter what you did or said on your campaign. What we need to really hold you accountable to is what you actually did when you were in power and you had the influence and authority to get things done. Because in a world where Logan Paul can actually go eight rounds of Floyd Mayweather, there's no excuse why these politicians shouldn't be doing the bare minimum of what they're expected to do. And they should be held accountable for this. That was an absolute journey, my friend. <laughs> love it. <laughs> hey, love man, it. I, I, I loved that Logan Paul, uh, you know, fight with Mayweather. I didn't think he was going to go all eight rounds. So I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be, it. I'm going to be talking about it for at least another couple of months until I, I get bored. But I mean, I think that was a really important moment. And, and I mean, really like, you know, you, you can't fake certain things. You, you I can't, just can't do handle, it. I can't. Handle this isn't, this isn't, this isn't like the, the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington generals, you know, how it's going to end. I, I just, I can't, I can't handle the sideshow stuff, man. I just can't. I love boxing. I love MMA. I just can't handle the. the you think? You think? You think? You think Floyd Mayweather is gonna go ahead and fight someone he knows he can easily take down? I mean, he's forty-five years old. He shouldn't be fighting. Anybody. He's fifty. <laughs> I think he's forty-four or forty-five. But I mean, something so, like that. You're absolutely right, though. Honestly, and it's like I, I, I do think these politicians they view the Super Bowl as to switch sports here, but they view the Super Bowl as election day. And then they're like, okay, we're good for two or four or six years, depending on, on what office they hold. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're just getting started. Like I, but they, they really do. They view the election itself as their job. Their job is to get elected or reelected, not to actually, you know, serve anybody. And, and um, you know, I, I think, I think voters should be held to just as much of, uh, as just as much account as the politicians are because they have the very same mindset. It's like, it 100%. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Mayweather and Paul were saying about each other before. It doesn't matter that Jake Paul stole Floyd's hat. What mattered was what actually happened in the ring. What yeah, actually he, matters is what happened when they were in office. You see it. I mean, you see it clear as day with like Biden's policies, like going back to the border policy. You see, you know, AOC's rea reaction and stuff like they make their it's their life's goal to get Republicans out of office so they can, you know, remove these poor children from cages. Joe Biden's elected. There's 10 times as many kids in cages. They're like, ah, no big deal. At least our side won. <laughs> it's like, come on. So, Remzo, I know you got to go. You have a heart out here. Uh, we know you are the host of On the Run and Second Print Comics, and you have a third podcast dropping soon. Tell us all about it. I am super excited to announce here. Originally, we were going to air uh, the Badger Institute's first podcast, Free Exchange, on Wednesday, June 15th. But I'm happy to announce here that we're going to actually release it a day early. We're going to have an awesome pilot episode with me uh, interviewing our president, uh, Mike Nichols. And then we have an amazing interview with uh, Kevin Hermaning. He was one of the Marines who was taken hostage during the Iranian hostage crisis in 1979. He's currently the president of his local school board. He was directly uh, involved with a, a lot of the policies to try and get children back in school safely, trying to get them back in a physical learning environment. And what I love about this program, it's going to be a, a long form show, but it's going to be biweekly, so twice a month. Uh, we're, we're trying to remind conservatives that they have more power than they actually think they do. And what happens federally may impact you. You know, what ha whoever's in the White House may impact you. But at the end of the day, what goes on in your local and state government is going to have much more of an impact on your life than you, you could really imagine. And I think the one positive outcome that's come out of uh, a lot of the questions regarding, you know, what, what this prior election meant 
especially with everything that happened the past year with the pandemic and the lockdowns, we're, we're starting to see that if you don't pay attention locally, it doesn't matter what's going to happen nationally when you begin to lose your freedom in your own backyard. So we're going to be talking to experts, um, you know, who are actually developing the solutions that people can try and copy and implement in their own states. We're going to be talking about things that uh, a, a lot of folks might not think are coming, especially from a, a state-based think tank. But the Badger Institute team is putting together a, a real heck of a show. And I think, you know, whether you're into, you know, big policy discussions or not, uh, you, you're going to empower yourself and sound smarter around your friends when you talk about these things. So just for that alone, I think people should check it out. It's free exchange. Uh, it's coming from the Badger Institute Tuesday, June 14th. Can't wait, man. Everybody make sure to subscribe on Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 14th. And also subscribe to uh, Remzo's other shows, Second Print and On the Run. Uh, they're both great shows. And follow Remzo on Twitter. He's great. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs> Thank you.